You're listening to The Mixed Project, a collection of photographs and narratives of Black folks in mixed race. I'm your host, Jeff Cooper. Segregation in Canada is such that few non-Indigenous folks spend much time interacting in real life with Indigenous communities. Even for progressives, we often fall into routines of social media activism where lengthy posts and the sharing of resistance-themed content are left unaccompanied by any real-life action or interaction with the communities we are trying to show up for. It is in part for this reason that the opportunity to conduct the interview for today's episode was so important to me. In this episode, I interview Oreen Askew. Oreen is a mixed-race, two-spirit, indigenous DJ, promotional speaker, spokesperson, entrepreneur, and nothing short of a local celebrity here in Vancouver. My sister and I were truly honored to be invited into her home on the Squamish Nation Reserve on Vancouver's North Shore, where we sat down and we talked. We talked about her mixed-race heritage and how being raised deeply in Squamish community, Oreen is very knowledgeable and connected to her indigenous roots. However, being far away from her father's folks in Gary, Indiana, Oreen is still searching for ways to connect with African-American and Black culture. We talked about the importance of the drumbeat as a central figure in both Squamish and African diaspora communities, as well as a house fire seven years ago that nearly took her life and became the inception for Oreen's public speaking career. Oreen's interview is a good one, so have a listen. Sitting here with the Reen Askew, and um, I want to just first start by thanking you so much for taking the time to sit down with me out of your very busy schedule. It means a lot to have you come and share uh, share your story with us. Um, you have a lot of different titles, um, maybe more than anyone we've ever interviewed before, which we're, which we're excited about, and we're excited to talk about them and to get into them. Um, but just for the listeners, um, what I've what I've sort of learned so far, and you can always add to this or edit this, is um, your mixed heritage, a DJ a politician, a motivational speaker, a youth mentor, and the first mixed person to be elected to the position of spokesperson for the Squamish Nation. You also identify as two-spirit, queer, African-American, and African-Canadian. Yes, to all of those. It's to all of those, <laughs> which, is, which is absolutely fantastic. But we want to start at the very beginning, if we can. Um, as, this project, as this project is about Black folks of mixed race, can you tell the listener a bit about your roots? You know, what are your, what are you, what's your mix and who are your parents? Well, I was born and raised in North Vancouver. I was born at a Lionsgate Hospital. And my mother is Squamish from the Squamish Nation. And my father is from Gary, Indiana. And uh, he was in the Navy. So my mom and her friends were down uh, in the U.S. Um, hanging out on one of the bases under Woodby Island. And so okay. that's where they met. Yeah. And then they got married, and then I was born. And then you were born. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I think you were saying in one of your interviews that your father grew up around the Jacksons. Yes. They actually grew up around the corner from the Jacksons, my uh, 
my dad and his family. So every time I go back there, I'm actually going back in a couple of weeks. Nice. We go to the Jacksons' house, which is like a, a monument um, mm. where they all grew up in, all eight of them. And it's really small. Like, really? it just shows you it's all eight people that were living in there. And they have a street named after them. So it's right on Jackson Street. There. That's awesome. What did your family structure look like growing up? Like, who were your primary caregivers? What was that, what was that like? Um, my mom and dad split up maybe when I was about five years old. Mm-hmm. So I've been raised by my mom. So my mom was raising four siblings on her own. So it was really interesting watching her. Um, she was on the welfare system and kind of worked her way up. Like I remember her working at A&W, like 7-Eleven, like uh, Grouse Mountain, like all these different jobs. And then she got a job with the school district, 44 in North Vancouver. So while I was in elementary school, my mom was working there as a TA. So sometimes it was a benefit and sometimes it wasn't. <laughs> Did she be around? <laughs> yeah, <Sure>. watching me. <laughs> if I needed anything, like, I'm going on a field trip, mom. She's like, oh, here's the money. Right? <laughs> and all of my friends would be like, oh, your mom's so mean. I'm like, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she could discipline you at home and at school. Exactly. There was no break for, you know, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> um... I'm curious to know, um, growing up on Squamish Nation, what sort of black community did you have? Not very much. Like, people joke around and call us Blindians around here. Mm-hmm. So, black Indians. And, uh, yeah, like like I said, like my mom and dad, they met down at Woodby Island, and there was, there was a, a bunch of girls who were fr- or ladies who were friends, and they went down there. So, they met people, and so there's, like, maybe... I'd say so what six to ten of us are around the same age who are the Blindians. <laughs> wow. But um, it's not it's not uncommon anymore. Um, as the time goes on, there's a lot of more mixed kids around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. So there was yeah. So you weren't a lot of the interviews you've done so far. People talk about being the only mixed kid in the community, but there was about six of you guys. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys did kind you, of? Did you all get along? Like, did you yeah, know? we all pretty much went to the same high school, and uh, I'm actually on council with. Another, I don't want to say a Blindian, but Marcus okay. <laughs> Wooden, but he's mixed just like me. And his dad's from Gary, not Gary, but from Indiana. Mm-hmm. So we're like the first ones ever in history. So did you on council? Did you feel comfortable with the term? Like, uh, it's it's not as bad as the N word, which I have been called around here. But like, oh really? Yeah, and I don't really take offense to it or anything. But the N word, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but nobody's cool with that. Yeah. Um, so in your feature with Story Hive, you talked about not looking Indigenous at all and that you've often been read as Black. So going back to your early years growing up, I'm just curious about what shaped your sense of self. So growing up, when you looked in the mirror, like, what did you see? Honestly, this is something I say sometimes to you, and I, I don't think a lot of people understand it, but some people do, is like, I would forget that I was black growing up just because I grew up in an indigenous community. I felt like I was indigenous and that was it, right? So when you're not around um, people who are like you or look like you, you kind of just lose that, right? So I'm around indigenous kids growing up all the time, right? So I just felt like one of the one of the other indigenous kids, like, um, I like I would forget, like I said, I would forget that I was black, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. So was there ever a moment, though, when you did realize that you were mixed, like something that made you different than other kids? I would say when I got called the N-word growing up, because it was so confusing to me. I'm just like, wait a second, like, 
they're native too and they're calling me that horrible name like uh-huh. it's very confusing for young people and i know um our mixed kids go through that too and i just try to you know talk to their parents and say you know i'm here if they ever need to talk or anything or because it's frustrating for them too right and like i said before as time goes on everybody's going to be mixed so it's not that whole like oh, well, you're 100% Squamish or 100% Indigenous, you know, and some mm-hmm. people still have that attitude. It's kind of like old school, old school uh, thinking. Where do you think that's coming from? Like, because I mean, if they're calling you like the word Blindian for the N word of R is obviously vile, um, and even the term Blindian is maybe questionable. Where do you think that attitude is maybe coming from? Like that sort of why are they calling you that? I think it's because of something that they're taught and definitely with definitely with colonialism and just all the effects of residential school and you know I, I just think they're taught to think a certain way and not really too open-minded mm-hmm. um, yeah and I didn't grow up on reserve like my whole entire life okay so I kind of see it from the outside and the inside so I guess I'm curious to know you know you you grew up uh, partially on the reserve and partially off the reserve but you were saying that you grew up in, in mostly a, an indigenous community um, for the most part, um, what's your journey been like sort of connecting with your black heritage? Was there a moment in your life where you were like maybe sort of exploring and discovering your black heritage a bit more? Did that ever sort of, um, yeah, did that journey begin at some point for you? Um, it kind of comes in spurts and I think my family for that, uh, who's, who's back in Gary, I kind of just like when I need to be around that more, I'll mm-hmm. take a trip out there. Mm-hmm. But to be completely honest, like, no, not really in Vancouver, mm-hmm. not too much. And I feel like lately too, I'm 36 years old and I feel like I've covered the indigenous side, but I, I'm feeling like inside it's time to cover the black side because yeah. I don't feel like my spirit is like fulfilled. It's like, I know I'm, I'm a lot of things like with identity and gender and stuff, but like, that's the tough thing about being mixed is like you're trying to fulfill each one right so yeah i'd have to say growing up in vancouver no not really you also sort of you get so many um stereotypes put on you as well that don't feel like they're yours so you're like where do i where do i go um so kind of on the same note um in a recent video for tourism vancouver you say that as indigenous people you were taught from a young age that everything has a heartbeat Um, The belief in the heartbeat seems to be reoccurring in much of your words and much of what you're teaching. And similarly, in African cultures and African diaspora, including African-American culture, the drum is the central figure. And the drum has been described as the heartbeat of many African communities. Um, So would you say that the beats or the heartbeats of these communities exist inside you? Definitely. And something like I'll use this as an example on Facebook. Um, I actually shared the post about Dave Chappelle and how he was insulting, uh, was it victim blaming and mm. being anti-trans, right? And um, his excuse for him doing comedy like that is that like there's no boundaries with comedy, like nothing is sacred. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been taught since I was younger that everything is sacred. So if you're gonna say that about something like that would be like me saying, oh, it's it's politics. Like, I just have to deal with it. No, I'm there to make the change and show the sacredness of it. So the drum beat, um, I'm glad that you brought up uh, the, the African-American side of the drum beat as well, because we're all indigenous, if you think about it, um, back, back all the way back to Africa. And that's how we express ourselves through the drum beat. And so it all just kind of ties in together. And the drum beat is really, really important. 
because it shows our lineage and it shows our history that these songs weren't just made up <laughs> like a few hundred years ago. These are thousands and thousands of years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, it's proven that we've been here for that long mm-hmm. and it's it's really important oral history and that drum beat is just like in the indigenous communities with ceremony, um, potlatches, like everything you can think of. Like I had to go to a, a funeral yesterday. We lost a young man to cancer, uh, sorry, cancer down the street. And the songs they were singing are just so uplifting to uplift the family um, in their time of need. Like mm-hmm. there's no other feeling. And I just love being around it and singing and the, the little ones know the songs and they're being brought up. Um, we have a preschool. Actually, my mom works there down the street as well too so it goes from uh preschool to grade three now i believe but it's immersion and so we're working on getting more grades so all of our students from the community can go there yeah as well so it, it's all ties in together it's just yeah. it's just amazing and yeah. it's uh it's funny how people don't really even know about that that part of our history mm-hmm. and uh the fact that it's history from here too like yeah. right in our backyard yeah. but yeah the drum beat is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I'm, I, so it sounds like this drum beat can really serve a lot of different purposes. Like, is the 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 the, the drum representing a heartbeat? It sounds like it's used in times of sadness. It's used in times of joy. Is that correct to say it's used for all occasions? Yeah, we have victory songs, um, basically like joy songs. We have uh, we have ceremonial songs. We have like certain traditions that people aren't even allowed to see. Like, you have to oh, be wow. from a certain family. Um, I've seen the masks and it's just unreal. It stems back all the way to Stanley Park. We had family in there yeah. until we were booted out. And mm-hmm. we had a huge long house in there. And the architecture was just like light years ahead of even now. Our people were amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I remember hearing about the Stanley Park long house and how it was destroyed. 18, I can't remember when 18 something, when it was, when it was destroyed and when that, when that land was taken from, from the Squamish people. So tell me a bit about your motivational speaking. Um, who are your audiences and what do you talk about? So seven years ago when I started my business, uh, my house was involved in a house fire. Mm-hmm. And I was living on the reserve at the time. And how it happened is my neighbor, um, she really caught in her addiction. She was an alcoholic and she had a party and she fell asleep. And uh, the fire spread to my place and her kids were in there. And... If there's ever like a movie, like a documentary about me, it's, it's like doomsday. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was raining out. Like there was a guy who was hungover, he was puking. My cousin was standing next to me. We were watching my my room go up in flames. My mom was trying not to hit the lady who started the fire, but she was like, "That's my baby." And it was just unreal. But the thing is, by me telling that story, there's so many indigenous. Um, young people who go through that and when I told the story for the first time it was in Ottawa maybe about two weeks after the fire I went to a youth conference out there and it was called the Yes Conference and they invited like motivational speakers out uh, indigenous people in the community uh, who are doing big things I remember uh, James Jones was there and he is a dancer he used to dance for a tribe called Red Mm. Uh, he's a hoop dancer and he was on So You Think You Can Dance Canada he made the top 10 and Lindsay Willier was there uh, she came in second for Canada's Next Top Model mm. and these are indigenous people who are out there doing this type of stuff so they spoke and the MC gave me the microphone 
and he said, does anyone have something to say? And I was like, I wasn't going to talk about the fire. And then it just all came out and there was not a dry eye like in the whole entire uh, auditorium. And then people started coming up to me and hugging me and like piling up money. And I was just like, whoa. And so I'm thinking that story can do that for a lot of people. Then that's how the door opened for motivational speaking. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I base it on and kind of work from there because I've only been DJing for about seven years now and so I love to mentor young DJs and if this is an industry they want to get into because I, f I find the older DJs they don't really I don't know if they don't have the time or they, they just don't want to share um, they don't want to share secrets I guess okay um, because to me going into this industry especially being a female like I felt like nobody wanted to teach me because they feel like you're gonna come in and take all their gigs, but I'm like the total opposite. I have the total opposite attitude. I'm like, if you wanna know, I'll let you know, just ask me. Yeah. This is what you wanna do, like, this is how you gotta do it, right? Yeah. So I love my students. Um, they still do gigs with me, or we hand each other gigs, or some of them are getting more than me right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I feel like this whole journey is just, everything's just tied in together. And I, f I find that all these opportunities open up for me is just, because I've just been giving back, especially to my own community and uh, and others. Like our indigenous young people just need, need to be around people like that and they need to see. And if I can do it, they can do it too. Yeah, 100%. So just more about the audience. Like how do you, who do you speak to predominantly? Like what, are you going to youth groups or youth events or, yeah. It's uh, predominantly youth, mm -hmm. but being a politician now, I get to speak at a lot of places. And uh, it's funny with doing territory acknowledgements, it, it kind of helps with the to keep the speaking going if I don't have any public speaking gigs. And it's cool because I do so many, so many different things. I can kind of focus. Like if I want more speaking gigs, I can really focus on that, especially with the promotion. If I want more DJing gigs, like I can kind of do it differently. Um, but yeah, it's it's mostly youth and youth conferences like this one called gathering our voices it's going to be in Kamloops in march and so that's 2000 indigenous kids from across bc wow. and they come out and they get to learn different workshops about health and fitness and then i do a couple workshops and then the dance is just unreal <laughs> did you like a big dance at the end yeah oh, how all fun. the kids are jumping i'm like who's kid in the middle like <laughs> they come up to me they want me to sign their shirts like sign autographs for them they're just they're so adorable and just so full of life and they want it and some of them come from like really remote communities where you know a trip to the city like doesn't happen very often you know and i'm just yeah. like i said i'm i'm like an open book if they have any questions about the industry like i have no problem no problem mentoring or you know i'll get messages from them sometimes saying you know you start your own business your families aren't very supportive and I'm like, you know, the same thing kind of happened to me. You kind of got to tune that out, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, and they're like, well, nobody believes in me. I'm like, well, I believe in you. So there's a start. And if you ever, you know, need that motivation or positivity, you just like, let me know. Like, <laughs> and that's the thing. It's just like, I feel like I don't have to advertise very much just because of my branding and everyone's always like, Maureen, you're so positive. Like, I never really see you complaining about anything. It's just like, oh, I got out of a fire alive, so I don't. I got yeah. much to complain about. <laughs> that would change your perspective. Yeah, it is, yeah. and it's tough because you you can't really do that unless you go through it. 
you know, and trying to give other people advice on what to do with their lives or like the steps that help you. It's hard because they didn't go through that. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone else is going to understand from my perspective, mm-hmm. um, of life really. I hope so. And that's why I do what I do because I hope they will get it. Like, mm-hmm. I know I'm not going to get to every single one of them, but mm-hmm. there's got to be one there or two that are listening and totally For take sure. it to heart and they're go-getters and they're yeah. going to do it. That yeah. makes it worth it. Um, this is like a total change in topic here. Um, so from the knowledge that I've acquired, um, to be a two spirited person is considered to be very powerful, um, including having a healing component. I feel like the kind of work that you're doing is the type of healing in many ways. So I'm just wondering, would you agree with that statement that there is power and healing within being a two spirit person? Oh, Totally. Totally. Like when people ask me, well, what is two spirited? So I give them this little analogy. I'm like, okay, there's a feminine orient and a masculine orient and they're inside me and they fight a lot because one <laughs> overbears the other or it's just, yeah, they, they just fight or I'm more one, one spirit than the other spirit or, you know, more masculine than family, feminine. So I totally think it's healing. And I feel like it's come back to life. Like for years, it's been in the history books, right? But like people are learning more about it and it's like coming coming out to life, right? Like when I started my business, I like, I didn't want to really focus on that part, like mm-hmm. being too spirited. I don't know if I, I don't know if I was ashamed of it or, or what it was, but at the beginning, I just did not want to focus on that. Like my business coach told me, she's like, well, why don't we, why don't we try to like, you know, attract that type of community or that community. And I'm like, no, not right now. I'm not really ready for that right now. So it wasn't until recently, like maybe in the last like five years, I've been all about it because it's been more accepted. Right. And I feel like with young people coming out, um, we actually just had a young man come out and he wants to be a DJ. So I'm trying to help. He's from our community as well. So I'm trying to help him out as much as I can, but it's just, it's like all about coming out. Like, and I feel like coming out is an everyday thing, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when, you know, you, I open up the door and I walk down the street and that's coming out for me, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I talk about in a lot of posts, like being misgendered, being two-spirited, like people think I'm a man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a man. I, <laughs> I have pronouns are she and her and I identify as like female, but I am two-spirited, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I feel like, especially this day and age, like everyday people are coming out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, f- I really feel like it's healing because the young folks are seeing me doing this and being comfortable with it, and they can too. Mm-hmm. And you know, their parents see it, and their grandparents see it. And you know, I know for young people, it's it's really tough right now. And I couldn't imagine coming out and then your parents being like, "No, you're like you can't do that, or you better not be a." Mm-hmm. For me, it was it was easy. <laughs> Your mind was really accepting. yeah. I told yeah. I told my family and they just they're like we know, and they just kept eat, eating their steak dinner. <laughs> That's so funny. That anticlimactic coming out. You're building you're up like, all this oh, courage yeah, and you're like, mom. Oh, and then and then they go, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yeah. And I'm lucky, you know, because a lot of people don't have that experience. But my mom will just say the funniest things sometimes because she'll be like, she'll be like, oh, I knew, I knew you were gay. I was like, oh yeah, I know. She was like. 
Well, I used to walk by your room and there was that big stack of L Word DVDs, so I kind of put two and two together. <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> it's coming back. I know, know. I know. Back. It's so exciting. Did you know Reboot? Actually, the next question really relates to the healing part as well, what we were just talking about. And just wondering if that sort of healing has been an inward self-healing that you've been doing, um, and particularly in relation to being mixed race, if there's a healing, it is if there needs to be healing for you, I don't know if being mixed race, but is there a connection between your, your healing of, of being um, um, two-spirit with being mixed race? Oh, totally. And... The fact that I can even say that I'm two-spirited, I think that's healing there as well. Mm-hmm. And something actually I didn't mention is that my aunt was actually trans. And mm-hmm. she died about, uh, they said, my family said 2002 in the downtown east side. She died of mm-hmm. an overdose. But growing up around here, I saw her struggle a lot. Mm-hmm. She was born a male and she actually had the surgery and transitioned mm-hmm. to a female. Like, I remember... When I found out, because my family didn't tell me, I found out um, when I was in grade three, I was playing with some some girls at school or like playing with blocks or whatever we did back then. And a young lady was like, she said, ew, there's this lady that lives across the street from me and she was born a man. And I was like, wait a second, my auntie Jamie lives across the street from you. So I put two and two together. I was like, wow. Because you always knew her as auntie Jamie? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Where she was, um, before she got the surgery, she was Jimmy, mm-hmm. right? So that's how I found out. And then I asked my family, and then they told me, and I was just like, whoa. And then I got teased quite a bit, right? I remember in grade 8, I didn't want to do this uh, family tree project because there was a nickname for my aunt, and it was Shin. Uh-huh. That's what they used to call her around wow. here. So she went to residential school, like the one where you go away and see she, she was gone for about five years. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, some pretty brutal things happened to her, right? So for me, like I said, actually saying I'm two-spirited is healing in itself. Like growing up with something like that. And I'm almost ashamed about how I wasn't, um, I don't want to say proud of her, but like I wasn't like okay with it. You know, I was kind of like ashamed of it. But uh, that's my family. That was my aunt, you know? And now I'm just like, wow, she's a trailblazer. She had the mm. guts to actually get the surgery done and be who she was, right? Mm. So um, she taught me a lot. Like, just seeing that, I was just like, wow. And unfortunately, she uh, she went to a life of drugs and alcohol, which a lot of people do, mm. um, because they want to numb yeah. the pain. And just not being accepted, like, that's that's a horrible feeling, right? But she's she's been at the back of my mind like I feel like when I'm doing this work too that I get to do for council like we have a rainbow cross crosswalk that's going to be uh, being installed uh, in September sometime so we're working on gender neutral washrooms we had a uh, float in the pride parade for the first time ever <laughs> and it's been around for 40 years right so this this is the type of work that's kind of it's healing for me as well too and so other people can see that it, it's okay and it's getting bigger like we just had our uh um our second time our, the float in the parade i was actually one of the grand marshals this year which was really awesome i saw that yeah i saw that cool. <laughs> and i brought my mom with me so my mom's peaked at the pride parade <laughs> Got to ride in this cool Audi sports uh, sports car, and she was just like, "Oh my 
my God. With my Jesus. name on the car. And oh, my mom yeah, so, saw that whole thing. My mom was so funny. She was like screaming, that's my baby. And like, point to my name. <laughs> I was like sitting on the Mom's top. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing feels, nothing quite feels like making your, your, your parents proud, you know, for sure. For better, for worse. But and then, then when you're making your mama proud, it feels great, huh? <laughs> Um, so you said in an interview with CBC Arts that growing up you lacked any representation of people who look like you, um, and you know and we've talked so much about um, you going into go you growing into your own and the work that you do in your community and, and with the youth. Um, so you know I'm just curious to know um, what are the ways you're changing that now in your own work to create more representation for people who look like you. I think um, I think by me being there. Um, in the public eye, and from the, especially from the Squamish Nation's perspective, there's 4,100 of us, and it's just growing quicker and quicker, right? So I get that all the time from community members, like, oh, it's so great to see one of our own, like, out there doing it, right? So when I said that in the interview, like, you know, it's, it's great to look on television and see more uh, Black people and Indigenous people uh, in, like, the Hollywood realm or celebrity realm, but I feel like I'm more like grassroots, kind of mm-hmm. like the community. So it, I feel like what I'm doing is um, being seen and it's more attainable, especially to um, our young people. And I can give them advice and I'm, I'm here, like I'm in my own community. I'm not like, I haven't moved to Los Angeles or Las Vegas or something um, to kind of like, oh, and you know, work out there and then come back but I'm, I'm here I'm living it I'm with them and we're doing this together mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, I'm not seeing a lot of indigenous people in Hollywood um, it's changing it's getting better there's more but definitely not enough so if this is something that I can help with and like train others you know to get there mm-hmm. and show them it's, it's a lot of work but it's uh, it's attainable mm-hmm. and that's what I meant when I said that. And I have, uh, I have a lot of nieces and nephews as well. I have three siblings, so I try to be the best role model for them as well. Mm-hmm. Just be really reliable and, you know, relatable and just someone that they can, they can count on. So mm-hmm. I almost take that attitude with everything and everyone. So. Yeah. As people who claim blackness um, as part of their identity, and for someone like you who claims both both blackness and indigeneity as part of their um, identity, we're sometimes or even often subjugated to negative or toxic representations of of our people. Um, However, thanks to things like social media and a lot of other things, we can intentionally expose ourselves to more beautiful and uplifting representations. Um, So I'm curious to know what part of the black identity and also part of the indigenous identity do you derive the most inspiration from? Um, well, if this makes sense, I almost kind of get inspiration from the stereotypes that we get because I'm trying to make change to show people that that's not happening. Like even with DJing, you know, uh, people have this perspective that DJs do drugs, they stay up all night and they're promiscuous. Never touch a drug in my life. Uh, barely have alcohol, especially when I'm, when I'm working, I don't want to try to mess anything up and I've seen it I've seen DJs on stage and they're just hammered I'm like wow that looks really bad and really sloppy right Mm. and that DJs are promiscuous I'm so shy I'm an introvert like when I'm not performing or you know motivational speaking like 
on the downtime, I'm just like, wow, like I wouldn't even know if anyone was flirting with me for the life of me, right? Mm -hmm. I even asked my girlfriend, I'm like, why are you with me? Like, I have Batman sheets. Like, (laughs) 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 how are you with me? I must be good at something. I don't know. (laughs) But like, yeah, it's the stereotypes, the stereotypes that motivate me to prove to people that we are not like that. Like, you know, people say it all the time, well, why do why do natives drink all the time? I'm like, they're trying to numb their trauma from the effects of residential school. Like, do you know what happened? And people are like, no. Well, sit down. <laughs> you got some time. And they they hear about it and they're blown away. And then they understand. They understand what's going on. And, uh, you know, I did a documentary back at BCIT about residential school. And it's online. It's called Our Dark Secret. And I got to interview elders in my community about their experiences. Like, priceless audio like worth millions and millions of dollars but after people listen to that that's back when the harper government like apologized and things Mm -hmm. like that and my mom actually went to residential school really and so she was left out left out of the compensation uh project back then but now because she went to day school she's able to get compensated now so that whole process you know people passed away because they got money and they just overdosed, right? So they're like, government's trying to throw money at people, right? They're just reopening wounds. And the stories, mm. oh, the stories are just unreal. Like people getting sexually abused, like putting people neck in beds who have tuber- tuberculosis, not washing the sheets, priests having babies, killing the babies, throwing them in fire pits. Like, it's just... It's like demonic stuff. Yeah, totally. And, um... Yeah, like I said, I, I explain to people about the stereotypes and why things are that way. And we're trying to change, like we're trying to bring it back to how it used to be, how we were treated like first class citizens, because we haven't been treated that way in a very long time. So um, that's why I just try to be everywhere and do everything I can just to mm-hmm. educate people and show people that we're not those stereotypical people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we're pretty much all done. Um, thank you again so much for sitting down with us. Um, what can we look forward to in the future coming from from uh, from Aureen, from DJ Osho? Uh, a lot more gigs. Um, it's so funny because I get worried. Like ever since I started, that I'm not going to have gigs for next month or the month after the month. After. I think that's a typical entrepreneur um, attitude. But then they just boom, 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 they all start coming in like all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I've got two and a half more years left in my term for council and people keep asking me if I'm going to run again and I'm like, I have no idea. Sometimes, some days it's nope. <laughs> no. But some days it's like, yeah, I am. I really am. Mm-hmm. But, but who knows? We're just making lots of changes with this new group. And what's interesting with this past election in December of 2017, that uh, was the biggest turnover ever in council's history because mm-hmm. we have 16 counselors mm-hmm. and so eight of them were new six of them were female under the age of 40 sorry the eight were under the age of 40 and yeah. then two no three now because Kelsalem just came out um are uh lgbtq plus wow so this is like Such we a- were like the like I don't know if you want to call us like the freedom writers or like <laughs> or what. Like it's time for change, you know. Yeah. Um, because our election codes haven't been changed since 1981, wow. so you could imagine. But it's uh, it's interesting. I'm learning a lot. I'm seeing a lot, and uh, I feel like I'm in the right place for sure. 
I think, I think you definitely are for sure. Um, okay. So one last thing is, um, if people want to get in contact with you, people want to get in contact with you for any of the reasons that we, that we've talked about today, if they're inspired by your words, I'm sure they will be. How can they get in contact with you? What's your socials? Do you have a website or? I do. Um, it's djosho.com. Um, I'm on all social media channels, pretty much, uh, Instagram, it's at DJ Osho or Facebook. It's Basically, DJ, DJ Osho. DJ Osho. Find <laughs> find okay, awesome. This has been absolutely fantastic. Do you Thank want to you. say anything? Thank you so much for your time. It's yeah. been great. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to yet another episode of The Mix Project. Um, don't forget to check out, of course, the photography that accompanies every interview, every guest at themixproject.com. That's the mix spelled M-I-X-D project.com. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review, do all the things. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Thanks so much.